the Book of Judges, a dark time in Israel's history, a pattern of failure, failure to follow God's law, failure to train up the next generation, failure to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness. We may be tempted to see the judges as heroes of the faith. However, the only hero of this story is God himself. The people of God chose the pleasures of sin over the promises of God, and the story of Judges is our story as well. In a desperately wicked and fallen world, the book of Judges reveals both the disgrace of sin and the deliverance only God can provide. So as I was preparing this week, this song continued to come into my mind that I just couldn't get out of my head. Do you know the song, Fried Ham, Fried Ham? Anybody? A few of you. So it's a song that I learned when I was in Boy Scout camp. Uh, we sang it every summer uh, to annoy our leaders. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, um, it goes something like this. Maestro. Fried ham, fried ham, cheese and bologna, and after the macaroni, we'll have onions, pickles, and pretzels, and then we'll have some more fried ham, fried ham, fried ham. Same song, second verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse, this time, baby style. Fried ham, fried ham, cheese and bologna, and after the macaroni we'll have onions, pretzels, and pickles, and then we'll have some more fried ham, fried ham, fried ham. Same song, third verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse, this time opera style, feel free to sing along. Fried ham, fried ham, cheese and bologna, and after the macaroni, we'll have onions, pickles, and pretzels, and then we'll have some more fried ham. <clears throat> Thank you. I can't take credit for that. It's a gift uh, of God. Uh, thank you, Ruth, for your accompaniment. Uh, this song, as you're probably experiencing, it's highly annoying. It's designed to be repetitive. And as it goes along, it becomes even more and more absurd and even more and more disturbing. <laughs> the reason it made me think about that song is I feel like the book of Judges was written with much the same focus. As you read it, it gets a little more disturbing a little more annoying, each and every verse. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles with you, join me in the book of Judges, chapter 4. Book of Judges, chapter 4. If you're new with us, the book of Judges is in the Old Testament, fifth book of the Old Testament. As you start at the beginning, Genesis, flip to the right, you'll find it. Book of Judges, chapter 4. And we're going to start in the first word of the first verse of chapter 4. It says this. It says, then. Uh, that, that word in English, then, it's actually a symbol in Hebrew. It's a wa, and that's meant to draw us directly to the verse right before. 
A term then, that wa, it's meant to say whatever, this directly follows the previous verse. So let's go back to the end of chapter 3, verse 31. Let's see what the then is speaking about. Verse 31 says this, after him, after Ehud, right? There was Othniel, then Ehud. After Ehud, verse 31, chapter 3, came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Right? So if you're keeping score, the people of God, they committed idolatry. God sold them into oppression. God raised up Othniel to deliver them. Right? And they had years of peace. Then the same thing happened again. The people of God cried out. God in his mercy brought Ehud, delivered them. They had years of peace. This is the third verse now, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. Now you have Shamgar. He did the same thing. And chapter four, verse one starts this way. Then, meaning to draw your attention, saying, okay, this is fourth verse. A little bit louder, a little bit worse. Look what it says. Then the sons of Israel again circled that. If we were writing that in our day, we'd put an eye roll emoji right next to it. Then the sons of Israel again. This is the fourth time. Fourth time. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after he had died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar, and the, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagalim. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. I mean, you're meant to read this and like, oh my gosh, this is the same song, fourth verse. A little bit louder, a little bit worse, but this time, it's not Othniel style. It's not Ehud style. It's not Shamgar style. It's not even a guy style. It's an all new, different style of God's work. The days of Deborah. In this chapter, is meant to draw our attention not just to the disgrace of sin in his people and God's people, but the deliverance of God and the way he does it. So let's continue then. Let's start the days of Deborah. This is fourth verse now in Judges. It's a little louder, a little worse. It's meant to get monotonous. It's meant to get annoying. And I just want to empower you, by the time we get to the end of Judges, you're going to be sick of this. And that's the point. The point of Judges is to drag you through the gutter deeper and deeper and deeper until you fully understand the gravity of the disgrace of sin and the powerful mercy of God's deliverance. Verse 4. So now we're going to see an unlikely hero. This is the days of Deborah. Fourth verse, the people of God are in this fourth verse. They've done it again, and this is what happened. First character we see is an unlikely hero. Now, Deborah, look what it says, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, who is judging Israel at that time. 
She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Let's stop there for a minute because there's a lot in that segment. Number one, Deborah, a prophetess. In the Hebrew, that's two words. Prophetess in the Hebrew is two words. It literally says a female prophetess. A female, so prophetess, we'd already say, okay, that's a, that's a woman. But in the Hebrew, it's a female prophetess because the author wants to make sure you understand this is a lady. In this time, in a culture where women have few rights, if any, they're viewed more as property than partners. In this day, there was a female prophetess to draw our attention. And by the way, that term prophetess, it means to describe a woman endowed with the gift of God's word, a female empowered to speak for the Lord. I mean, let's not just gloss over that. Right there in the middle of the brokenness, fourth verse, a little louder, a little worse, there's this female prophetess. It gets even better, who was judging Israel at the time. The term judge means she was governing, leading, adjudicating issues, executing judge, justice. I mean, this was an essential role in the community of people. And she had an official office, too, want you to know. Under the palm tree of Deborah. I mean, she had her own palm tree named after her. Everyone knew where to go. I mean, this wasn't just some little shanty set up to the side. This was Deborah. She was a female prophetess. Keyword, female. She was adjudicating. She was executing justice. Helping deliberate, deliberate between right and wrong. And people knew where to go. They sought her out. Look what it says at the end of verse 5. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. I mean, people were going to her. In a time where people were oppressed because of their sin, people went to Deborah. Now, if you knew your Bible, if you know your Bible, you probably know, okay, there's got to be a guy wrapped up in here somewhere. Let's keep reading verse 6. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, and said to him, Behold, surprise, this is the word of God from Deborah to Barak. Surprise, behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali, from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. A few things I want you to notice about this segment. Number one, there's no crying out to the Lord, right? The previous times, there's crying out to the Lord. No crying out to the Lord. They were just oppressed severely, horrifically, for 20 years. Then you have a prophetess, a female prophetess, who is judging and executing justice. By the way, this, this is unique, or this is rare, but it's by no means unique. There is Miriam, she was a prophetess. Moses' sister. There's Holda. Anna in the book of Luke. 
Philip's daughters in the book of Acts. I was thinking this week, that might be an interesting summer series sometimes to go through the women of Scripture that God has used and empowered to execute His will and His plan in the lives of His people. But Deborah brings this truth to Barak and says, listen, God has commanded you. He has directed you. Like, this is not a request. This is not an opinion. This is not an idea. Hey, God's wondering if you think this is a good idea. That's not what God's commanding you. Go and do this. And look at, look at how it ends. And I will give him into your hands. This is not just a directive, but it's a promise. Go. I'm giving you a directive. Go do this. And I will give. That term give means to place, to put, to hand deliver. I have gift wrapped this thing for you. Deborah who is already seen in culture as someone that God speaks through. They trust her. They know her. Barak, God's going to use you. Go do this. God's gift-wrapped it for you. It's a no-brainer. It's a sure victory. This is going to happen. And you expect someone to say, well, pfft, great. Let's go. I mean, if God is directing me to do it and promising to fulfill it, why wouldn't I? Look at Barak's disappointing response. Verse 8. Then Barak said to her, number one, if you will go with me, then I will go. First thing we see in Barak, God's word's not good enough. Deborah, I know you're important, more important to God than me. And if you go to battle with me, I know God's, God's going to give us victory because he's not going to want anything to happen to you. Deborah, if you go with me, I'll go. I, this, number one, shows a lack of confidence in God's word, a lack of confidence in God's power, a, lot of, a lack of confidence in God's plan. Deborah says, God's commanding you to go, and he's gift-wrapped this whole thing for your victory. He's going to hand-deliver this. Okay, Deborah, well, I'll go if... If you go with me, just in case, you know, God changes his mind in the middle or just in case we have to call God, we can get a hold of him through you. Just in case something goes awry. But it goes worse. Look at this. If you will go with me, then I will go. But, huge biblical but right there. But if you will not go with me, I won't go. I'm not going to obey God. If it doesn't work out my way, if I don't get to do it my way, I'm not going. Now, let me remind you, this is a command of God. Go do this. Okay, well, I'll do it if we can do it this way, God, not your way. And if we don't get to do it my way, I'm going to stay right here. Now, Old Testament style, we expect to kind of stand back and wait for an asteroid to just come from heaven, right? The ground to open up and big tongue come out from a crevice and swoop them down to Hades. But look at Deborah's response. Verse 9. She said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you're about to take. 
For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. I mean, first, first part, we see this unlikely hero. They have this woman who has no rights, viewed as property, clearly empowered by God in a miraculous way, respected by her people, calls Barak, gives him a direct command, helping him understand God's plan and God's plan to execute it. Barak says, no, I don't want to do it. Interesting thing is God's not thwarted. Deborah's not thwarted. Plan still goes. God says, you know what? I'm going to fulfill this plan in a unique way. Not only am I going to use an unlikely Hebrew in Deborah, a hero in Deborah, I'm going to form another unlikely hero. Also, who's marginalized in society, viewed as property by others, to execute God's plan. Let's continue. First character in the days of Deborah as an unlikely hero. Switching gears there, we now come into another character, a compromised neighbor. So now that as this whole thing is going on between Deborah and Barak and God, this happens. Verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, who had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in, in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Let's hit pause for a moment. You might be thinking, well, who's Heber and what's a Kenite? So hit pause. Let's go over to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1, verse 16. Let me remind you who the Kenites are. We met them earlier, first week. Judges chapter 1, verse 16. The descendants of Kenite... Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms of the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad, and they went and lived with the people. So the Kenites are, are the descendants of the father-in-law of Moses. They had this relationship with Judah. They had this treaty with Israel. They had this relationship with them out of respect. But Heber... One of the Kenites had separated himself. That term separated himself. It, it means that he diverged off, split off, he went his own way. In other words, Heber left his allegiance with the people of God and went to forge his own alliances, which ended up being the enemy of God's people and led by the forces of Sisera. Let's keep going. Look what happens. So Heber splits off from his family. Never a good idea, by the way. Splits off from his family, verse 12. Then they, Heber and his family, told Sisera that Barak, the son of Ibnoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him and to the river Kishon. I mean, so here's what happened. You have this thing going on between Barak and Deborah and God. God's promising to gift wrap this plan. He's going to have this amazing deliverance of God's people. Barak doesn't want to go unless Deborah, the mother, comes with him. 
Meanwhile, you have this alliance, you have this person that you trusted as a neighbor who's supposed to be your friend. He separates himself from the family and he makes an alliance with Sisera. And he gives them the whole plan of God. Hey, Sisera, just so you know, here's what God's doing. Brack's going to get all these people. They're going to all go over here. They're going to attack you. Sisera's plan is, why have all these iron chariots? I have 900 iron chariots. We're going to slaughter these people. We're going to annihilate these people. All because of Heber, a compromised neighbor. For whatever reason, Heber, Heber is an example of someone who decided that aligning with the wicked is better than suffering with the faithful. It's better to align with the wicked than suffer with the faithful. Hey, I've been putting up with this for 20 years, being oppressed by these guys. I'm done. I'm moving over here. I'm setting up my family, and I'm sidling up to the wicked. It's better to align with them than suffer with the faithful. It wouldn't be the first. It won't be the last. I don't know if maybe you feel like maybe you're in the midst of this quandary. Faithfulness to the Lord brings difficulty, it brings challenge. Sometimes it brings isolation and loneliness. I don't know, maybe it'd be better to form alliances with people who are opposed to God. Maybe it's better to form partnerships. Maybe it's better to compromise on the directives of God for my family, for my career. I think that's why Paul gave this teaching to the church in Corinth. He said this in the book of 2 Corinthians. He said, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony is Christ with Belial? Or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? There has to be separateness. There has to be division. Joshua would say it this way, choose this day whom you serve. Jesus would say, you're either with me or against me. So far in Judges 4, the days of Deborah, we see an unlikely hero, a compromised neighbor. And then third, we see a humiliated warrior. Look what happens next. Right when you think that God's plan is not going to work, I mean, his warrior doesn't want to do it. Someone who's supposed to be on their side is completely selling them out. Perhaps they just need to abort the plan and pull back, but not Deborah. Look what she says, verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, arise, get up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Barak's probably thinking, okay, this isn't going to work. That's like, nope, this is going to work just fine. She said, in fact, this day, this situation, this mess, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, surprise, the Lord has gone out before you. This is nothing, Barak. God's gone out. I mean, if God's for you, who can be against you? 
Barak, put your big boy pants on and get going. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Verse 15, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heroshesh Hegayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. And all this going on, the days of Deborah, an unlikely hero. You have Barak, the warrior of God, not wanting to go. You have a, someone who's supposed to have an alliance, totally breaking everything down and undercutting Israel and telling the enemy exactly what the plan is. You have Sisera with iron chariots. He's ready to just annihilate the people. But what we find is not just a defeated warrior. Sisera isn't just defeated. He's humiliated. Let me show you why. Number one, verse 17. Now Sisera fled away on foot. In this culture, to flee battle, for a leader to flee battle. I mean, that's just sad. But look what he did. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Remember who Heber the Kenite is? The one who sold out Israel? So Sisera thinks that he can find a safe place. Here's humiliation number two. Like warriors, people like Sisera, number one, they didn't flee the battlefield. Number two, they didn't go hide in a woman's tent. Women's tents in this time, those were like no man's lands. Like you don't go in there. If her husband isn't there, you don't go there. And the, the plan, the cultural understanding is you don't go into a woman's tent. Like women are off, like during battle, they're off limits. Look what Sisera did. Not only did he flee, not only did he flee to the tent of a woman. Look what happened. Verse 18. Joe went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Shh. Let me hide you. Do not be afraid. He turned aside into her tent. And she covered him with a rug. Look at what he said, verse 19. He said to her, please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk, gave him a drink. Here's some hot cocoa, sweetie. Then she covered him up. He said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone here? You shall say no, and they're going to take your word. Because I'm not supposed to be in here. Humiliation number one, he fled. Humiliation number two, he fled to a woman's tent. This is a big deal. Look what happens then, verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg. Women in this culture, they're the ones setting up the tents. So they're very good at tent pegs and hammers. So she took a tent peg, seized a hammer in her hand, and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And went through into the ground. He was sound asleep and exhausted. And I love this last line. So he died. You think? <laughs> like the Bible is so detailed. Why? Humiliation number three. You're Sisera. You're the commander of the king's army. You fled to a woman's tent. And you were killed by a lady with a tent peg and hammer in your sleep after you drank her cocoa. And you're going to see a few chapters later, we see another guy in battle and he's losing and he tells his servant, hey, you kill me. 
You kill me right here. You want to know why? I don't want to go down in history as being killed by a woman. Like this was a big deal. God not only defeated Sisera, he humiliated this guy. He was stuck into the ground with a tent peg through his head and he died. Verse 22. And behold, surprise, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, come, I'll show you the man whom you're seeking. He entered with her and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. Remember what God said? Hey, Barak, don't worry. A woman's going to take care of your job for you. Tent peg, hammer. Makes you wonder why, why the wife of the traitor would make this choice. You ever hear this story and wonder that? Her husband already made this commitment. He already aligned himself with the enemy. This wife, Jael, she, she has a very compromised situation. She has no rights outside of her husband. She has no freedom. She's completely marginalized, not empowered in this whole thing. And her family, you know, would have been handsomely rewarded by Cicero when this was all over. Why? Why did she throw it all away? To do this. We get a hint in Judges chapter 5. See, this was such a dramatic and powerful moment in history. Judges records a song about it in Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 4 is kind of the historical account. Judges number 5 is kind of the movie version. They take a little bit of liberties, they add a little drama, they add some music to it. But it's to really highlight what happened. So let's go to Judges chapter 5, next chapter, starting in verse 24. Listen to what it says about Jael. Judges chapter 5, verse 24. Most blessed of women is Jael. Man, that's a great thing to be said about you, right? Man, you're the greatest of all. The wife of Heber, the Kenite who made an allegiance, right? Most blessed is she of women in the tent. He asked for water, she gave him milk. In a magnificent bowl, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent bag, her right hand for the workman's hammer, and she struck Sisera. She smashed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple, right? I told you, there's parental guidance on this. I mean, it's it's detailed. Verse 27, between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay between her feet, he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead. This great warrior humbled himself for a woman. Then verse 28, out of the window she looked and lamented the mother of Cicero through the lattice. And now we're starting to get a little bit of the, of the drama. Cicero's mom She's looking out the window. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Hey, where's Sisera? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariots tarry? Where's all his warriors? Verse 29, her wife's princesses, Sisera's mom, won't answer. The princesses, Sisera's mom, won't answer her. Indeed, she repeats her words to herself. Look at this, verse 30. 
Are they not finding, are they not dividing the spoil? Aren't they just pillaging the land? Maybe that's what they're doing. They're just pillaging a maiden, two maidens for every warrior. They were just raping all the women. This is Sisera's mom. Ah, probably nothing to worry about. They're probably just pillaging the land. They're probably raping everyone's wives and daughters. To Sisera, a spoil of dyed work, a spoil of dyed work embroidered, dyed work of double embroidery on the neck of the spoiler. Maybe they're just celebrating my husband or my son. Verse 31, thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but that those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. One thing we see that might have led Jael to do this is Cicero was known for being barbaric and proud in his leadership and in his life. Perhaps Jael didn't want to be aligned with a man like that. In this story of the days of Deborah, we see an unlikely hero, a compromised neighbor, humiliated warrior. But again, I want to make sure you understand the hero in this whole text is God. Fourth character. Powerful God. Fourth verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. Man, these people of God didn't deserve any of this. They didn't even cry out to God this time. Yet God moved in compassion. Empowered Deborah delivered this plan to Barak, and even in his failure, God wasn't thwarted. God wasn't stopped. Look at verse 23. Amidst all the mess of those first 22 verses, 23, so, in Hebrew, why are you so surprised? This should not be a shock. Lest you think this was an awkward plan, so, just like God desired it. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Who's the victor? God. Judges wants to make sure you know in the midst of all of this, God did it. In fact, he said it again. Look back at verse 15. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. The Lord did it. God did it. That term routed, it means to confuse, to throw into a panic. I mean, don't you wish you knew how God did it? Here you have this motley crew, this leader who doesn't want to be there unless Deborah comes. You have this warrior guy who's just filled with iron chariots. He's ended up dying to a lady after she gets some hot cocoa. You have this, how did God do it? Let's look at verse 5, or chapter 5. Again, we're looking to that song to get some detail. Judges chapter 5, starting, starting in verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Sire, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens heavens dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's what most people think happened. It was dry season, the time of the battle. The ground was hard, perfect time for iron chariots to roll smoothly, swiftly through the plains. 
It wasn't supposed to be rainy season. So suddenly, out of nowhere, God opens up the heavens. Rain falls. Thunder just quakes where it shakes mountains. Suddenly, out of nowhere, during dry season, there's this torrential rain. The river swells. The dirt's turned to mud. Chariots, instead of being this instrument of destruction, end up being a liability. And 10,000 people that God had set up there just annihilated. It was more than just this great plan of God. It was some great psychological warfare too. Let's look at verse 20. Judges chapter 5, verse 20. The stars fought from the heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. See, the people knew that this was more than just a battle on the field. This is a battle between gods. Remember, the god of Canaan was Baal. He was a god of rain and agriculture. So they're going out in dry season. They sacrifice babies to Baal, who controls the weather. And then they go out to fight this battle. And what defeats them? The weather. These people are starting to wonder. Everyone recognized. Verse 20, the stars fought from heaven for their courses. They fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The river, that ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, oh, my soul, march on with strength like the river just annihilated them. And these people are clearly understanding this is more than just a fight between the people of God and Sisera. This is a fight between God and Baal. And God won. This was God's victory. Through his power and his choice to use unlikely heroes. It's important that you understand this isn't just God's plan in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. I mean, this is God's plan witnessed throughout Scripture. What Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, wrote this to Christians. He said, for consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and to despise, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. This week, after reading through this fourth verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse than the previous three, Two questions came to my mind. First, where do you need to move forward? In confidence that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Deborah is with you. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if we're more like Barack than Deborah. We've heard God's voice. We know his truth, we know his plan. 
And yet we're timid, fearful, and worried. So my first question for some of you is where, where have you been holding back? Where have you been not moving forward where God has called? Out of fear, lack of faith, doubt. Where do you need to move forward? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you know God's been calling you to reconcile, to restore, to make a move. If you take the first move, you lose a lot of the power. But you just have this aching thing in your heart that maybe you're the one. And maybe it's time. How about your children? grandchildren they're too far lost they don't want to hear from you every time you bring up the Lord they roll their eyes and you just stopped maybe it's time for you to be bold maybe it's time for you to know the power of God is at work in you a power that Paul reminds us the work of God that's already at work within you who can do far more than you can ask or even imagine. Maybe it's time for you to boldly take a step of faith and move in the direction that God is calling you. Perhaps you think that maybe God can't use you because of your weakened position your flaws of the past. But there's a long list of people, a long list of unlikely heroes throughout Scripture. Perhaps you're just the next. God loves to use you. He doesn't need you. He just loves to use you for His glory. First question then, where do you need to move forward in confidence that God is with you? Perhaps you're here and you're saying, Brian, I already do all that. I'm fine. God directs me and I go in confidence and faith. I don't struggle with this. I'm good to go. Then here's my question for you. How do you need to boast about the work of God in your life? Perhaps you've already followed God, you've conquered all your battles, and you're a great example of faithfulness to God. Then can I encourage you to boast in the Lord? Not boast in who you've become, but boast in how God has worked in your life to bring you to this spot. Boast about the time that God rescued you. Boast about the time that God reconciled your marriage. Boast about the time that God preserved your children. Boast about the times that despite your failures, God has used you for his glory. Boast about the times that during this pandemic, God provided for you and sustained you. Number one, where do you need to be bold and move forward in confidence that God is with you? Or second, where do you need to boast about the power of God that's already been evident in your life? Let's pray. God, again, I'm grateful for your word. 
God allows us to see the real lives of people in the Old Testament days. God, we see their cycles of disobedience. God, where the disgrace of sin is becoming more and more apparent. But God, even more importantly, the power of your deliverance, the compassionate way in which you intervene. God, we ask that you open our eyes and allow us to see our own lives through this book of Judges. God, allow us to see our weakness, our doubts, our questions, as we saw in Barak. God, allow us to see the danger of compromise on how easy it is to align forces with people out of comfort. But God, how foolish it is to choose others over you. God, remind us of your power, God, as we look down our path. We see a valley of the shadow of death. God, we see no way out. God, remind us of the way that you completely humiliated Sisera. God, you spoke everything into creation. You spoke everything into being out of nothing. God, nothing is impossible with you. God, give us the faith and confidence of Deborah. God, that we might follow you without question, without fear. God, for those people here this morning who feel your call, who know what they need to do, through your spirit, God, you have been stirring in their life that they would take a stand for you. But God, they've lacked courage, they've lacked strength, they've lacked support. God, I pray you give them what they need today. God, may you use our small families to be a reflection of your bold glory. May you use our little church to be a beacon of your power. God, may you use our lives to demonstrate to everybody the greatness of God. God, again, I pray if there's people here today that have yet to have a relationship with you, or God, people who have walked away, God, I pray you call them back to yourself today. God, hear their prayers as they repent, as they ask for forgiveness, as they ask for a fresh start with you. God, will you hear them? God, may you restore their homes, renew their hearts, transform their lives just as you have promised. We give all things up to your powerful and capable hands. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.